0: All right. Good morning. I'm uh, Kyle, like Evan said, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and right now, we've been in a series called The Patterns of Jesus. And in reference to today, I find this title um, especially powerful. And powerful because as I prepared for this week, uh, I, I learned that although Jesus taught on hospitality often, he never actually used the word. And so as I looked, I, I found that he used its definition instead. And so in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the word for hospitality, um, it means to love one's neighbor or love a stranger. And so that's what this word means. And, and more and more, time and time again, and with every interaction, Jesus modeled that. And, and so Jesus is our standard Jesus is a standard by which we should gauge our lives and how we as a people and individuals should determine whether or not we are hospitable. And so this morning, as we look at Jesus and the hospitality that he modeled and commanded, uh, I think we have to ask ourselves as people and as um, individuals, how are we doing? Like, is hospitality a part of who we are And so it's my hope as we look at Jesus this morning that we learn that his life was just engulfed, absolutely surrounded by this idea of hospitality, and so should ours. So this morning there are three aspects of hospitality that I hope to show you, and my goal with each is for us to see how Jesus' model isn't just there to see, but is there for us to follow. And so with that, let's open to Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1 through 6. It says, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that had fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? and they could not reply to these things. And so uh, the the first aspect of hospitality I I want us to see is simply this, that hospitality happens in homes. Like this is where Jesus is in these first few verses and, and Jesus is a guest in the home of another And before we talk about this hospitality, I want us to understand like the context that Jesus is in. And so um, homes in his day often had like these public spaces, often like um, a courtyard or an outer room. And so that's where this meal is taking place, where Jesus is at. And so it's open to the public. They can see in, you can see out. And so in our text, Jesus is in this, this space in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees and dining at the table, Jesus notices a man with dropsy, not a guest at this dinner, an onlooker, someone outside, and Jesus invites him in. And so we see in this that Jesus invites a stranger. And then he poses this question about the law and continues on to heal this man, now transformed by his encounter with Jesus. And so from this account, here's the first thing I want us to see, and it's that hospitality happens in homes. Hospitality happens in homes. And it may not always start there, but true biblical hospitality will always lead there. So home is this essential component of true hospitality. It's the idea of bringing the outsider in, allowing someone inside your house is the physical manifestation of allowing someone into your life. And along with the home comes its table and an invitation to recline and to eat, to be comfortable in someone else's home and partake of what they have to offer. And we know that someone's home and their life are connected this way because it's the same picture that Jesus uses in Revelation 3.21. A lot of us, I'm sure, have heard this verse before, but it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And so Jesus teaches us that hospitality only takes place when one is willing to open their home and their table to others. And so here's this picture that hospitality happens in homes and it leads to a table. And so I just wanna add to that, that as we as Christians also, we're called to take that invitation seriously. When someone extends it to us, when someone invites us into their home or invites us to their table, especially if they're not a believer, like it should be a precious honor when someone opens up their lives like that to us. And it's this vulnerable time, and so we need to treat it with care never judgment, never taking it for granted. And so this is exactly what Jesus teaches us next. In verse 7 through 10, Jesus tells a parable teaching us this posture of humility we should take while receiving the hospitality of others. And then in verse 12 through 24, he tells another story, giving us the heart of the host, one who truly understands what it means to be hospitable. And both of these parables happen around a table. And so, look with me, we're going to start in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things he said to him blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of god but jesus said to him a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at the time for the banquet he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited come for everything is now ready but they all alike began to make excuses the first said to him i've bought a field and i must go out and see it "'Please have me excused.' "'And another said, "'I've bought five yoke of oxen "'and I go to examine them. "'Please have me excused.' "'And another said, I've, been mar- "'I've married a wife "'and therefore I cannot come. "'So the servant came... "'That should be a reasonable excuse. "'So the servant came "'and reported these things to his master. "'Then the master of the house became angry "'and he said to his servant, "'Go out quickly to the streets "'and lanes of the city "'and bring in the poor "'and crippled and blind and lame.' And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So hospitality happens in homes, and it involves this invitation to come and to eat, and it happens at a table, and this, this is a theme and a lesson Uh, that saturates Scripture. Like, it's found first and right away in chapter 1 of the Bible. What's the first thing that God does for his people? The very first thing that God does is make them a home in the garden and invite them to dwell with him there. And then he gives them every tree and every plant for food. And even after mankind rejects God's offer with perseverance And determination, he continues to make room and make a way for people to find with him a dwelling place. Listen, every time I'm up here, I make it my mission to remind you of what I call the capital P promise of God, found most clearly in Genesis 17 4 through 8. And it's that God would make out of a multitude of nations one family. Where he'd be our God and we would be his people in that land of promise with him forever. So it's this promise that God would make the place where we were once strangers and sojourners a place to call home. And so God's most precious promise is that he would show us hospitality. And that's who he is. And so as we continue to read through God's word through Genesis into Exodus, we see his faithfulness to his promises as he rescues his people out of bondage where he turns slaves into a freed people and eventually into a nation. And from Exodus through Deuteronomy, he he sets these nations on this journey towards that home in Israel. And on their way, God teaches these people to follow after him and what it looks like to be a child of God. And so then woven throughout all of this is this constant theme of hospitality. And like I said, this word for hospitality, when you break it apart, when you look at it, it means the welcoming of stranger or the love of neighbor. And so if you looked at this time that they had in the desert while being given this law, is when Jesus would later, it's this time that Jesus was later referred to Um Uh, when he gives the two greatest commandments. And so in chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus is where God reminds us of how holy he is. And he begins to explain what that holiness looks like. And at the stage of the game, we learn that to be holy, like he's holy, means to love others the way we love ourselves and to take care of others who might not be able to care for themselves. And so he begins to write in his law example after example of what this may look like. And And he makes laws for his people to live by. And so it's not going to be up on the screens. I'm just going to summarize for you. But in chapter 19 of Leviticus, uh, in 9 through 17, he tells them that when they harvest their crops, that they have to leave some for others to gather. And he says to this point that if you strip your vineyards bare, that's the equivalent of theft. And instead, they're to be generous and to leave food for others. And he says that you have a responsibility to the blind and to the deaf, and that this is the fear of the Lord in action. And he goes on to say that it should be no different between how how we treat the poor or the rich, but by righteousness we should judge and interact with one another. And he concludes the section saying that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. That's Leviticus 19.18. It's a command. And so here we have what it means to be hospitable, and it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And we have here who our neighbors are, and it's both the rich and the poor, but he places an immense amount of responsibility on us to take care of others. And so my question for us as we hear this is who is God placing on your heart? Like who is the stranger or neighbor that you need to take responsibility for? God says that to love and take care of these people is what it means to be one of his. Because this is who he is, and this is hospitality. And so as we continue through this chapter, chapter 19, he goes on to expand uh, even more and tell us how we should treat strangers among us as natives, and we should love them as ourselves, and, and we should do this because we should know what it means to be a stranger. And he reminds his people uh, of that time when he rescued them from the hostile world in Egypt and then welcomed them into his family, and so he finishes this chapter by saying that you should observe all these statutes and all his rules and do them because he's the Lord and so we're we're just in Exodus at this point, like this is just the beginning of what God has to say about hospitality and and as we jump back into the New Testament, we can find command after command to show hospitality all over. It's in the qualifications of our leaders. It's in how we treat one another. It's who we care for, both inside and outside the church. It's all of our interactions, and in each of these examples and commands, it often happens in a home, but it always leads to a table. And it's intentional that I'm spending so much time on this first point because this idea of letting people into our homes and inviting others to our table is culturally becoming more and more foreign in our day but i need us in this room to recognize that it can't become lost on us it's inseparable from god's definition of hospitality and it's an invaluable tool that god has given us as a people who are supposed to be known by our love to one another We need to recognize that our homes aren't just our own, but they're gifts from God, which should be used in the ways that he's intended and called them to be. Hospitality happens in homes, and it leads to a table. So something else in Luke 14 that's highlighted for us is that hospitality always happens with strangers. Hospitality happens with strangers. Both in Jesus' interactions in verse 1 through 6 and in his parable in 12 through 24, hospitality happens when someone invites a stranger in. And so this is what separates true Christian hospitality from the counterfeit hospitality of the world, biblical. God-honoring hospitality always involves an invitation to strangers and those who cannot pay us back. But when the world speaks of hospitality, it often starts with family or friends, and in business, it's our customers, and its goal is financial. Only in the kingdom of God is hospitality's primary focus, self-service to strangers. And so in our morning's passage, Jesus, as always, heals without expectation, And in his parable, he teaches us to serve the underserved and the unwanted, those who are most often ignored or unseen, those outside. Biblical, godly, and acceptable hospitality doesn't start with family or friends like it does in the world, but it does lead to it. So Laura and I have lived in our home for about six or seven years, and in that time, we've met many of our neighbors, snow days were a great opportunity for that. But one of our neighbors across the street, for the first few years we were there, uh, we only knew them by their smiles and waves, but they became particularly special. So Frank, his wife Gladys, and son Stephen were just our neighbors across the street, and we'd often get home at the same time, and there'd be a acknowledgement of one another before walking into our own homes but their son Stephen who had a few special needs um, was the first one to break the ice and so Stephen was the first one to actually cross the street to say hello neighbor and to ask us about whatever project we were doing on our home at the time and so these, these hellos and these questions eventually led to conversation and eventually led to tours of our house, always under construction and visits at the front door or discussions in the middle of the road, whatever it was. But this family went from being strangers to neighbors. And then during COVID, Stephen got sick. And after coming home from the hospital, he died in the arms of his father. And so Frank and Gladys, a day later, came and knocked on our door. Out of all their neighbors, they came to our house to tell us so that we could mourn together. And so we let them in. And so we let Frank and Gladys into our home, but they let us into their hearts. And so over the next week or so, we got to cry together. I got to enter their home and have conversation and try to figure out why on earth this would happen. And so that led to an opportunity for me to share, not just with them, who we believe Jesus is, but it led to an invitation for me to come to Stephen's service and to share God's invitation of hospitality with everyone there. And so these once strangers became neighbors And then we experienced something heavy together, and our lives were connected. Once strangers, once neighbors, now family. And so our interactions with Stephen and Gladys across the street aren't always long, but now they're forever deep. We always, right away, get to talk about what's going on in each other's lives, and how they're doing, and how we're doing, and update them on the continued projects at home, and Uh, just everything that Laura and I do. But there's a uniqueness to that relationship. So this past week, uh, I also learned about a book that's all about this concept right here of strangers becoming family. And it's this book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And this week, I read the entire thing. Author Rosaria Butterfield, years ago, she set out to write a book condemning Christianity um, as its uh, primary source of the pain and problems in the world. She was a lesbian lit professor specializing in postmodern critical theory. And the book she ended up writing years later is this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. That is a title. In one section of her book, she tells her story of how after writing an op-ed against the church, a local pastor who read it invited her over for dinner. And so surprised and nervous, she reluctantly agreed to go as part of her research, and so in her book, she notes how an unexpected this experience was. That night at dinner, he didn't preach to her or condemn her for her lifestyle or beliefs. She says this pastor didn't see her as a project, but as a person, and that changed her life. And so after this first dinner and for the next two years, she regularly attended the group that met at their home. And she, she says that she first fell in love with the songs that they sang, but eventually with the God that they sang to. And it was this unexpected and radical hospitality that she received, which drew her in and kept her long enough to be able to hear and receive the good news of God's kingdom made possible by his cross. Now, years later, Rosara is a mother and a wife to a Presbyterian pastor and also the author of what I think is the best book I've read on hospitality to date. And so one of the things I loved about her book is this definition of hospitality she gives She writes that biblical hospitality is is turning strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. So this this is what this book presents to us as the mission and picture of hospitality. And I think it's all over scripture. And once you notice it, it will become embarrassingly obvious how fundamental hospitality is to the nature of God and what it means to be in his family and to our identities as citizens of his kingdom. And so biblical hospitality, it always happens with strangers, and it leads to family. And as Rosario puts it, it turns strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. And so I know that for a lot of us, this is probably a lot to take in, especially if you're introverted, The idea of inviting strangers into your home probably seems daunting. Just talking to new people may seem like a nightmare, and I don't want to dismiss those fears. Biblical hospitality does indeed require much. It isn't easy. It's not cheap, but it is necessary, and Jesus recognizes that Two, the third and last aspect of hospitality that I and I think Jesus wants us to see is found in the last few verses of chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. It says, now a great crowd accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he's enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going on to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Biblical hospitality always comes with a cost. And Jesus warns of this. He tells us that before we can take his invitation to actually follow him, we must consider if we're willing to accept all that this will require. For those who truly know Christ, we understand that salvation is free, but discipleship is is costly. In Jesus, we find that the road he paved was bloody. And hospitality always has a cost because hospitality by its very nature is the act of giving to those who cannot repay. It's the act of making what's yours someone else's. It's sacrificing your time and your home and your finances, your comfort with the explicit effort to love the stranger, turning them into neighbor and eventually family. Hospitality costs Jesus his life. And as Luke 14 points out, He expects nothing less from us. Salvation is free because Jesus paid for ours with his life. But in his resurrection, he shows us that it leads to a life that's greater than the one we lay down. And so biblical hospitality is costly, but there is good news. While hospitality always has a cost, it always leads to blessing. And that blessing has a name. Jump with me to Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 29 to 31. I'm so thankful that this is here for us. He says, Jesus says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or or father or child or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. Jesus knows that to receive a new life requires us to lose the one we once held dear. But the good news of biblical hospitality is that it offers a new home with a new family and invites us to join Jesus at his table. And it turns you who are once a stranger into an adopted member of God's family where Jesus calls you brother and friend and turns God into father And although biblical hospitality means being willing to lay down your life, we are so blessed to live in a time and a place where the sacrifices we make will not mean a physical cross. And can we just stop for a moment and consider that gift and recognize how lucky we are in a world for which other family members of ours around the globe aren't so lucky? Like, we in this room are blessed to have the safety that we do. We are not a persecuted people in this room. Hospitality costs us so little compared to what it could. We have no excuse. And when we shift our focus beyond the inconvenience that it may cost us, to the blessings that will result. We should be excited and thrilled and honored to give of ourselves this way because the rewards are a hundredfold whatever we lose. So when you see someone in need, stop and help. Learn the names of the teller at your bank or the cashier at the grocery store who bags your groceries every week. Join us at an ESL cafe or at our next day of service. Invite your physical neighbors to dinner at your home. And if you don't know yet, learn their names too. Listen, you need to know the names of your neighbors. My wife can attest, I ask her all the time because I'm terrible with names. But learn their names, and I'm not even kidding, this is like a base standard for followers of Jesus. And it's gonna be awkward sometimes, and it may not always go as planned. It's vulnerable, it's hard. It will cost you something to be hospitable. But it's who God is, and, what it, and it's what it means and looks like to be his. Hospitality has a cost, but it always leads to blessing. So I think Luke 14 is this great picture of all these three aspects of hospitality that we looked at this morning. But before we conclude this morning, I want to point us to a place where we see all three aspects of hospitality displayed in Jesus and where we have the opportunity every week to partake when we meet. So biblical hospitality happens in homes and leads to a table, and Jesus shows us that every week as we partake with him in the sacraments. In this, Jesus teaches his disciples that through his broken body and shed blood, he reconciled our debts with the Father and opened the door for us to enter into God's presence without fear or shame. If we would repent and accept Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us, Jesus welcomes us into his home and to feast at his table. Second, biblical hospitality happens with strangers and leads to family. Jesus' invitation is more than for us to enter his home or to eat at his table. It's an invitation to enter his family, turning stranger into neighbor and neighbor into family. And like we touched on this morning from Genesis on, this has always been God's promise and purpose to make one nation, one family out of a multitude of others, out of strangers, to make a home where he would be our God and we would be his people in that land of promise, this new home forever. But for this family and home to happen, it has a cost. Biblical hospitality has a cost, but it leads to blessing. And so in order for Jesus to reclaim the kingdom that he lost to our sin, it cost him his life, And at his table, we're reminded of that as we partake of the broken body and shed blood represented in the elements. But in this mournful celebration, we're not just partaking in his death, but in his resurrection too. There's a cost to hospitality, but that cost makes new life free for others, free for us. So salvation is free because Jesus paid the cost, but discipleship is costly because it requires us to follow in his footsteps, giving of ourselves to point the way for others. So as my time comes to an end, I just want to shift our focus for a moment from Jesus' life to our own. How are we doing with discipleship, with hospitality as Jesus modeled? According to Jesus' model and teaching, how hospitable are you? When was the last time you opened up your home or invited someone to your table? When was the last time you interacted with a stranger and loved them as a neighbor or adopted them into your family? When was the last time you gave of yourself to be hospitable to another? Listen, it's not hospitality if it doesn't have a cost. Hospitality is never free to give, always to receive, but it's worth it because it ends in blessings, always. Biblical hospitality is not an option for us as Christians because it's fundamental to what it means to follow Christ. And hospitality, as modeled by our Lord, turns strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. It's what God's shown to us, and it's what he's made our mission to others. Let's pray.